Welcome to The Third Story. I'm Leo Sidrin. Today's conversation features singer, multi-instrumentalist, arranger, and YouTube sensation Jacob Collier. I say YouTube sensation because Jacob is primarily known for a series of music videos that he's posted online, in which he creates ingenious arrangements of songs by composers ranging from Jerome Kern to Stevie Wonder. I first saw one of his videos about two years ago when Jacob was still in high school, and I'm not ashamed to say that I totally flipped out. If you haven't seen his videos, the first thing you have to know is that he looks really young. He records himself singing elaborate and ingenious multiple-part harmonies and films himself singing each of the parts dressed in a slightly different shirt and hairstyle, and there's something very sweet and almost naive about the visual presentation. It's definitely homegrown, handmade, but the music is so sophisticated, so hip, so smart, and at the same time so beautiful that the combination of the visual presentation and the music delivers a massive punch. Over time, Jacob's videos have incorporated more instrumentation as well, and we see him playing drums, bass, percussion, melodica, and piano, which he studies at the Royal Academy of Music in London. I've been very curious about him since I first became aware of Jacob Collier, and I shared his videos with all my friends, encouraged people to work with him when they were in London, but I had never met him until recently when I was in England on tour, and this is my first interview outside of my usual Brooklyn studio, and man, was it worth it. When I sat down at Jacob's small, uh, cluttered music room, I felt as if I was sitting in the middle of one of his videos, and I had a minute to soak up the feeling because... In fact, when I arrived, Collier was still in transit coming home from a day at college. One of the things that I most enjoyed about our conversation is that it really feels to me like a document of a brilliant artist still early in his development. At 20 years old, he's already beyond most musical minds I've ever come across, but he's also still totally curious and filled with an enormous amount of wonder and enthusiasm for new ideas. Maybe he always will be like that, but you know, there's no substitute for the first time, and he's soaking it all up like a sponge right now. Collier is a self-directed, self-invented guy. He's an extremely intuitive person, and he develops his own manner of learning. He's also very driven by the emotion of music. He tells a story about how when he was still a toddler, his mother would play a game with him where she would ask him what note a particular sound felt like. For example, the sound of a vacuum cleaner. What note did it feel like, she would ask him. He says, I could navigate harmony by how it felt to me. So on the one hand, he's an old soul who's deeply moved on an emotional level. And on the other hand, the role of technology has been at the core of his contribution. Recording, filming, and editing on the computer have allowed him to develop his unique style. You hear in this conversation how energetic and delighted he is. He says, if I got into something, I devoured it, like I devoured the times tables or the number seven or harmony. His videos have reached millions of people and have earned him fans all over the world, despite the fact that he's still figuring out how to perform his music live and hasn't released an album as such. Nevertheless, he says, if you mean business with your art, at some stage you have to completely disregard everybody else. You can learn from what people think, but to engage with it is to commit emotional suicide. On the other hand, by way of the videos, he has developed creative working relationships with some great artists, including Nikki Yanofsky, the band Snarky Puppy, and most significantly, Quincy Jones. Before we get started with the conversation, I want to play an excerpt from Collier's 2013 arrangement of the Stevie Wonder classic, Don't You Worry About a Thing. Go. 
Jacob Collier. Hello. Thank you so much for making some space for me. Oh, you're, your, you're very welcome. This is the infamous room. I'm generally so tempted to ask people about their childhood home or the, yeah. the first place where they came to music. And it usually kind of comes in some kind of uh, nostalgic retrospective. <laughs> uh, but we're actually in your childhood home. This is seems. my childhood home. Yeah, th- I, I've always lived here. It's, a, it's kind of a wonderful house. 
it's, it's tucked away from the centre of London, so it's not like a horrible buzz, an incessant whir of activity. But it's, it's also not so out of London that it's impossible to get in. Right. Um, and it's, I can zoom in quite fast from here. But it's, um, I mean, this room is, I, I grew up completely in this room. It's my sort of, it's my space. So you can probably tell by looking around, but there's a whole bunch of stuff because I do love collecting instruments. And, and if I find something that's an instrument, I kind of, I'm, I can't resist getting it because I just love the whole concept of gaining um, a new sound for the sort of, the, the, the basket of sounds that I sort of have. I'm so lucky to have this space. There's always music in this house. You know, it's one of those things where since day one, in, in every corner, there was there was somebody sort of singing or playing or some somebody, like there was music playing from somewhere and or, or just there was a vibe of it around. So I, I sort of lapped that up from a, a young age, you know. Yeah, uh, when I walked in, there was violin happening in the other room. Yeah, it sounds probably. like a lesson. Yeah, I think it's a lesson, yeah. Is that kind of your f- first memory of hearing music? Blimey. Um, I was played the Brandenburg Concertos, which are by Bach, and it, they're, kind of, they're kind of wonderful. And, and I, I, I drunk those in as, a, I mean, I must have been maybe one or two, and that was just such a sort of an inspirational thing. And not because of the information of the music, just because of the joy of it. It's just like unbounded. It just sort of flows over you like something that flows. And it's just so joyous and it bubbles and it, I was just I was just frothing with delight, you know, it's just such a wonderful thing. And it was yeah, it was it was a thing where music was happening at I think just to a level where it was almost inescapable, but not to the level where I, I needed to escape from it, sort mm-hmm. of thing. So I was just it was it was, I was nested in in sounds and I was always encouraged to think about I mean I was always encouraged to think about everything in terms of it off like emotion. So if there's like a vase or a, a bottle or a box on the table, uh and it was sort of pointing in, in a different direction. It would, it would, that would be sort of unfriendly or, or friendly. And or if you put something on it, it would, they would be friends or they wouldn't be friends. Um, this is how you thought about spatial things. Yeah, about- spatial things. And and same with sounds. You know, it'd like it'd be like a chord. And and I think, well, you know, I'd, I'm always really mystified when people talk about major and minor in terms of happy and sad. I think that's very very bizarre. I think it's such a weird. Th- I think everything's about context, which is why if you look around, that's what it is. Like everything's emotional. So a chord just for what it is can be unbelievably sad if it's if it's major but it can also be sort of like sad is such a bland it's like saying something's black or something <laughs> like there's there's no depth in the word sad really it's kind of like an open it's like a doorway and inside that there's all these different things that you can explore and i just i was just encouraged to think about things and definitely music in this way you know anything i heard or any anybody i met or anything i saw um it was like a you know i i i saw it from this this point of view of just kind of being open to listening to it instead of imposing my own ideas on it. it just sort of, think, well, what's that? You know, where is that? And and what's it related to? And, and, and who are its friends? And, you know, it doesn't even <laughs> have friends, you know, that's cool. And I, I think it, it's important maybe for people to think in terms of just the world it, it, as, as an emotional place. Because right. I think one thing that is shut down by education, I think, is uh, connecting to things emotionally, I reckon. It's a bit of a weird one. Yeah. You're coming today from from a class. Yeah, I came straight from a class. Yeah. You're still in school. Uh, yeah, I am. I mean, it's a four-year course, and I've just begun my third year, so um, I'm sort of just over halfway right. there. And um, I think the, the good thing about being in a school situation is that it's just an, it's an environment where you can learn. So, And that's that's not necessarily about music. It's just about people at your own age and and just the world and growing up in the world and what it's like to work for something and what it's like to to build relationships with people and friends and musicians and it's great i mean there are loads of musicians at the college that are that are, fan- that are just fantastic you know technicians and fantastic people and it's it's great to be around such a vibe where people are just up for learning and, and you exchange sounds all the time 
like one guy will come in and say, hey, check this thing out. I just found this. Like a friend of mine um, recently discovered deer hoof. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know these guys. I do. It's just ridiculous. I mean, I, you know, and I, that's the kind of thing where it goes into the, it, it's, it's a, it does the rounds and then everyone checks it out. And it's, it's great because then right. some guys just hate it and some guys just love it. And, and I think what, what the nice thing about being in that situation is that you, you, you get to learn about people and each person's sort of journey through their thing. So you start at, at a place when you're about 18 and it's like everything's sort of possible. You haven't got a grounding point. And by the time you reach the end of your degree at like 22 or something, you will probably have, have made a step in different directions. And that's the exciting thing because everyone's different. And it's just, I think it's nice in this situation where people's differences are kind of embraced. They're just kind of, enc- you're encouraged to do your thing. But there's the weird thing we have to have a marking criteria and it's a bit of a sort of grey area. But um, I think, I mean, I think they do a great job really at the Academy. This room that we're sitting in, this is the room where so much of the world has seen the product <laughs> of your work, right? You, you make these videos that kind of go out into the world. Mm. Sitting in here, I don't know if there's, is there, oh, there's a window. Yeah, but, there's a window, yeah. But you do get the sense of being very, if not isolated, somewhat insulated from the <laughs> outer great, world. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a den. I love dens, you know. Dens are great, and and so I just find when I when I work, it's I find it difficult to to work when there's things coming in, people going in and out, and it's just like people. A lot of people have to practice at college because it's the only place they have to practice. Um, I can't really imagine practicing properly practicing outside of this room just because it's my it's my home vibe. And I mean, I think it kind of depends how you practice. I'm I'm not a religious practicer in any way at all. I find practicing kind of strange, but I do find fascination takes me to different places, and I really quest to understand things and put things into my own world of understanding and so in in that respect I've I've sort of kind of been self-taught my whole life just because things that I learn I find them for myself I find a place with them where I can it's like a it's a it has a root in something I understand and then it will grow or I plant a new root but I make sure it's it's planted it's not like a sort of superimposition of somebody's vibe and, and you have to just sort of eat it up or else you you know what I mean? This relates to something that you mentioned earlier, which was that when you first started listening to music and thinking about it emotionally, you weren't necessarily thinking about what your contribution had to be. Mm. You were just experiencing it emotionally. Oh, yeah. But yeah. at some point, you started to assert yourself creatively and to sort of make your own statement. When did you start sort of doing that? Blimey. Yeah, there's the thing with, with listening to music. I couldn't really help it, but I, I used to just sing harmony on stuff. I, I mean, I, I know that's a thing that some people do who... Who are who are kind of you know if they're if they're if they're musical as children they'll often sing harmony and and I really I really got into this in a big way and I sang harmony and so you listen to a record and you'd sing harmony I yeah 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 I mean even to the extent where when I discovered Take Six I listened to Take Six and I I tried to find the seventh part that wasn't there and sang that one you know that all the optimum color and how did you discover Take Six did somebody play it for oh, you boy. yeah oh, I can't even you know I can't remember I just I just remember I, I stumbled across the the whole idea of these six black guys and their spirituality and it was just unbelievable i just i mean it yeah you just you have to sort of say that is just uh, that's another thing and i think what it was it wasn't just the like it's not just the harmony i mean at first i think it was just the harmony i just couldn't believe the harmony but then after a while when when the harmony becomes something you it's like it becomes more embedded in in your vocabulary and you understand the voicings and how each voice moves to a, a place and each each line is a melody like with bark it, it makes sense to listen to the music in terms of just just what like I think once the information has passed you by, you think what's left of the music and Take Six is one of those examples where each of those guys are just they're, they're just beautiful people and they really kind of believe in their in their thing and they believe in the sound of the group and they believe in in like love and their families and you can really I think you can feel that you know. What's interesting to me is that you 
became each of those guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? In hearing all of those voices, you didn't listen into one of those voices. Or as you developed um, instrumentally, you didn't listen to a record or a piece of music and say, I identify with the rhythm or the harmony right. or the melody. You identified with the entirety of it. The sound, you, yeah. I, I think it comes from not necessarily having uh, having lessons. I mean, I didn't really have lessons until... I mean, I, was, I, I had singing lessons when I was eight years old. Um, that was the only thing I sort of studied. And then when I got to, you know, I was about 16 years old and I went to, um, I started this thing at the, the academy, do this this thing for young young musicians. And it's, it's this thing called the, the, the Junior Jazz Course. It's run by a flute player called Gareth Lecrane. It's just fantastic. And it's, it's a great situation because none of us really necessarily, I mean, we had different abilities. I, I'd never, ever, ever studied piano. Although I assume I'd been offered lessons at some point, I just declined them, you know, because I didn't want to. And that was fine. That's always been the, the vibe in this this sort of household. But that was cool. And so I found that, you know, I used I only used my first three fingers. I didn't use my my, my little finger on the or the one next to it. I just sort of used those three, and that was six parts. That was enough. And um and I I got into clusters and clusters harmony and stuff. And I couldn't really play any any melodic. Like I could sing the melodic lines, but I couldn't really play them because I didn't, I didn't have the facility. So. So that that situation of being in that thing, it wasn't sort of directly being told how to play the piano, but it was being all the doors were open in terms of theoretically understanding jazz harmony, which I think is a cool basin of of knowledge. It's like a it's a good soil, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so if, if you kind of get the hang of it, then you work out what you agree with and what you disagree with, and as long as you keep in touch with that, then you you won't get lost, you know, just in someone else's world. And that was a great situation where. I was being informed, but it wasn't direct, so I could sort of take from it what I wanted to take, and it was it was that, I, th- I think that was important because there was never really a moment where I had to practice for this number of hours or learn this particular thing. I mean, I did it for, for classical voice when I was a young lad, but I always struggled with the thing of practicing. At what pieces, age? You know, so eight years old is when I began the lessons, and I, I had a, about five years of singing as a young, like you know, the young boy thing, the, the deal with singing really high. And like the pure boy voice, mm-hmm. I, I, that was the sort of that was the that was the world I was in. And man, it led me to some weird places. I mean, there's, I, I did a couple of films, and right. that was that was great. I did a film of the you know the, the Charles Dickens A Christmas Carol. Yeah. So I, I played Tiny Tim, and it's like a musical version of the film. And Kelsey Grammer is Scrooge, and right. and it was just a great. It was we did it in Budapest, and it was like amazing because I got to miss school, and it was just epic. You and know? you were like eleven years old, or how? Well, old I was I was nine. Nine. Nine, and I turned ten on set. And that was great. Because I had the same birthday as Geraldine Chaplin, it turned out. It was Charlie Chaplin's daughter. And mm. she was playing the Ghost of Christmas Future. Um, so we sort of hung out there. But anyway, I did that thing and I, I did a few different operas. And this is one of the most fundamental parts, I think, of my musical development was... I mean, I did things like the, the there's an opera called The Magic Flute by Mozart. And there were three little boys and they sort of sang advice to, to Permina, the main girl. And it was that was great. And so that was a nice experience to sing in harmony with guys that could sing in tune and stuff because I was used to harmonising with myself. I always recorded singing vocal harmony from when I was about 10 and not very sophisticated. I mean, three parts or something. You just, always recorded yourself. Yeah, you? I always that was always the thing. I, just with voices, I always found voices as great because like, I had the power to, to, to do the thing. And, and I found like that so, sometimes if you sang a major chord, it didn't sound in tune on the piano. But then if you tuned it, if you just sang it, it sounded in tune. And I've sort of learned about just intonation post that time and know about the third being a bit lower and how that's the sort of natural place in the harmonic series and then harmony sounds good um for real and that's something i'd really try and do to this day to get things in tune but i I discovered how it felt to sing a note that was in tune and how it felt to sing a note that wasn't quite in tune and you know you you learn how how it feels to sing a fifth against somebody it's amazing feeling because it's such a like when you get it right it's like a golden thing appears and you Mm -hmm. sort of feel this 
this this and it's an amazing thing and but i so i found this you know just by by doing different songs alone you know like i i sang i i was oliver in my school productions of in my school production of oliver and so i remember i did like i'd do anything i did that one and i mm-hmm. did where is love and a couple just because these songs were in my life and i just harmonized them because i thought well it's be fun i've got like an afternoon off and don't have any homework so I may as well do that and what was the harmonic conception at that point was it pretty standard in thirds or well, was it well it was to... just like you know that you know just the thing where you can pretty much harmonize anything in in two triads like do 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 as one and do 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 or something so like see these two triads and you can just move them around you know like the like the, the gospel thing where it's like like this thing and you can you can do loads of this i just i found a thing where pretty much any song you find your way but i wasn't thinking about it in terms of of theory i mean i i knew i i was, I was sort of encouraged as a as a kid to have um perfect pitch it was like I, my mum used to put the hoover on and and or the vacuum cleaner on and sort of you know say like hey what note does that feel like you know and i was about two i said you know, a maybe and she said yes a so your mother would play this game with you yeah so she, she was was she showing you some fundamentals at some point of, of the of oh music. yeah 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 i mean she, she's a wonderful fiddle player and also a conductor so there's a spirit around of, of music that surrounds her and she i mean she was she was the one that pretty much kind of got me thinking about like what i said about emotion and music you know it was it wasn't so much that what does that note sound like it was what does the note feel like so because a feels like a right so then, what does that she put the hoover on and say what does that feel like yeah what note does it feel like you know and and then obviously I mean, I could, but she plays violin, and so in terms of harmony, um, I think I got more of my harmony from listening to other things rather than listening to her play, because there's there's only a, there's a particular kind of harmony in, in one line, which is fed through a series of notes. But I was really into like lo- all notes at once, you know, because I love that thing. Um, and so that I mean, I, I I just took her ideals about notes feeling like things and keys feeling like things, you know, like E feels like a thing, like a guitar-y thing, and it feels like kind of a, sometimes bright if you jump there from somewhere that's not E or somewhere darker or something. And it was, I just, I, I pulled the idea of things feeling like other things into a situation where I, I, could, I could navigate through harmony by how it felt. So D flat, you know, it's like, okay, that's fine. And then if somebody plays, it goes into E or goes into F, then like you just sort of think, well, okay, that's, I understand the color of, it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of like, you know, visual color. I, I'm not one of the guys that sort of sees, sees a, a one color when they, here yeah. record. I've never been able to relate to that particularly, but I understand the, the sort of gist of what it means to think about harmony in terms of like a textural thing. In the same way that I sort of think about everything in a textural way, if you, if you know what I mean. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, my mum my was a, a massive force. I mean, that, that Hoover game was great. It's funny, my, my, my perfect pitch um, sort of thing, it got really good when I was young. And then through my teens, when I was about maybe ten to fourteen, I just did I didn't do it very much, and it, and I, I I so I lost the sort of immediacy of the skill, and then I think when my voice broke, and I began to record more things and think about writing stuff and and start to arrange some things, then I I, I sort of found it again because I was thinking about always thinking about singing, and I and it was a thing, you know. I said I I found that I, I got the speed back. It's a great it's a great sort of party trick when someone says, "Hey, what's this note?" and you say, "Oh, it's C or something." Right. Yeah, I mean, the, I think that the idea is that it's not. I'm not really looking at perfect pitch as a tool to get information. It's more just it's a nice way of navigating when you can navigate through what your heart is saying, because that's I think a more universal skill, and just in terms of art and people and music in general, is that if you can get to people's hearts, the way like a chord is voiced, like a, if you put these three notes at the top and these two at the bottom, or like there's a bit of a cluster in the middle, or at the bottom there's like a fifth, so it's really meaty and and homely, or there's a fourth, so you get like an illusion of the fifth below it and. Or 
you know like where the triad is and what different triads are like if you're an F minor and you put like a G triad over it then G major is quite a sort of quite an open sounding triad I, I, I think and F minor is like a way more it's just different colour so it's like combining different colours mm-hmm. but I, I thought about it in terms of, of that I think yeah largely because of mum but also just because of my own just just listening with open ears and, and explorations into different things, you know. So you were recording three parts in the computer. It makes me wonder what role technology had early on in your development. It sounds like you were able to yeah, record early. Yeah, that's a good early. question. Yeah, um, I mean, I was given Cubase um, music software when I was about six, and I I used to I, I made a couple of, I made a couple of records when I was in primary school, and it was just all MIDI stuff. And I remember I, I did a track called like something five four like jazz in 5-4 or something. And, and I found 5-4 and it's like, wow, this is great, you know, 5. And you just found it by playing five. with the computer? Yeah, I mean, I, I heard there's a song by Sting called Seven Days, sure, which I love. And Sting was one of my absolute heroes. And so I just figured out 5 was a thing. And and he does he does stuff in 7, like Love is Stronger Than Justice and St. Augustine in Hell and these kind of songs. That whole, that's 10 Summer's ten 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 Tales. tales yeah. yeah, and there's, oh man, if I, if I start thinking about it, there, there are tons. But yeah, he was great for that. Um, that whole thing and, and I, I, was always, I was always so fascinated with rhythm and what MIDI and Cubase got me to think about was just what, what, it, what it meant to record something and you edit something a bit and, and you quantize it maybe and you figure out what that's all about I didn't figure that out for ages I had to just like play it really precisely which is probably quite a good skill but um, and I sold them for like one pound in my, in my school hall in break times and, and I gave all the money to uh, there, was, there, there was a tsunami that happened around that time and I gave it to the tsunami which is great but and it was it was nice and Cubase upgraded to Logic when I was around eleven, and Logic was awesome man. There was so much cool stuff and I, I, I mean I I didn't understand most of the things you know like like compressor I, I like I I knew what did what like I knew reverb made reverb happen I knew delay made delay happen, and there was like flanger which I could have understood phaser and EQ I sort of hacked and then and then I I learned that compressor makes things louder that's what I learned. And I, then I've recently discovered that it's not just doesn't just make it louder; it does some other stuff too. Um, and but yeah, so I'd, I I did you know I recorded on one of my first major products on Logic was um, I was really into maths as a kid. I loved the times tables. So what I did was I did every times table. I did made a song for everyone, and like seven was in seven, for example, and that was really fun. And I started when I was around twelve, and I finished when I was about maybe thirteen or fourteen. And then and so so I've got I've still got the files on the computer, and, and it's all my unbroken voice singing. In harm- um, and so there's like a theme, you know, like two times table, two times table, you know, sorry. and um, and I played a bit of bass, like sort of, you know, on the like on. I know at that point I would have played it on the piano because I didn't play bass yet, and that was cool. And and so I I did two to eleven, and I still haven't done twelve, which is kind of funny. Hmm. And I think I might do it one day when I sort of make them real. But um, it was a great thing because I had to develop a theme immediately, and I had to use that theme, and I had to then sing each, you know, multiple of two. And it was just a joining of two things I loved dearly. But by the end of it, I'd learned a whole lot about mastering a bit and mixing. Because just because I figured like, why is that bit distorting or why doesn't this work? And, and so you said, well, that's too loud. So you turn that down or that's, that's in the same, that's sort of in the same frequency as that. Not, I didn't think in terms of that, those words, but I figured that the bass was like doing the same thing as the, the low synth or something. And it was just getting in the way. So mm-hmm. I might just EQ that out or turn it down and... I, I've just I've just continued with that thing of of teaching myself how to use logic. I've never done anything different to to this day. You know, I've just figured stuff out that works, and never really had any theory with regarding that thing. I've just worked it out. You know, when did the video become part of the equation? Uh, YouTube was created as I started high school, so um, it was awesome. You know, there were, all my friends would would say, "Hey, have you seen this really funny video on YouTube of 
this guy like doing stop motion all around his bedroom and stuff and I, I so I checked some stuff out there was a video called I can't remember what it's called but the guy's called Cootie Man and he's, he's this awesome guy I don't know if you've heard of him but he, t- he, he took I don't know maybe 30 different YouTube clips and he put them into one video and there's this amazing one called the mother I think it's called the mother of all funk chords and he gets and there's this guy like he said he takes a guy who's doing like a video tutorial and says well you know let's play the mother of all funk chords play yeah. a nine chord and he plays a nine a nine chord which is like a funk chord and then he gets like a, he gets I think Bernard Perti yes drums. I've seen it it's just amazing and he, he layers all this stuff up I was just inspired but like you could layer different videos and all this kind of thing and it was around that time when I was 14 or 15 when I discovered Take 6 and also I, I was just experimenting with a whole lot of, of stuff in this room I mean, I, I didn't discover the whole thing of video until I was about sixteen. Uh-huh. I mean, the the, the video thing, I, I made a I made a track for it. It was a school concert, and there was like a sort of sound image movement concert, and I, so I put together this video, and it's like a it's it's a sort of it's quite a dubby thing. I, so I, I just discovered this this guy James Blake. He's from 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 England, and, and yeah. he he makes this really cool music, and it's really minimal and electronic, and it wasn't harmonic, and I was really fascinated by how he got interest, you know, hmm. out of it because it wasn't you know, harmony and stuff. And he does some weird stuff with divining beats into weird stuff, and and he does it all in his bedroom. And I just thought, this is the man, you know. I'm fully inspired, right? And so I made this track, and it was kind of like had sidechain compression on it, but I didn't know how to do that, so I just did it all manually with putting the volume down and going up, you know. And it took me ages, but I, I I did a thing, and I and I made a track for this school thing, and I I made a couple of tracks, and a friend of mine said, well, you know, there's there's I mean, what about YouTube? Why don't you put them on online? And I thought, well, okay, I'll put them online then. And so I, I uploaded them and, and it was fine. And you know, I got like 2,000 views and that's kind of quite a lot. And then one day I just, I figured, I, I saw something online that was like two people singing or, or four people singing. And I, I just thought, well, that's, that looks kind of fun. I mean, I could try that. I mean, I, I'd always done arrangements with voices, but I did this one called I've Told Every Little Star, which is this amazing song by Jerome Kern. And I used to play piano and sing it. It was one of the first songs I sort of really did that with with my broken voice. And I thought like, you see, the melody is kind of simple, you know, and I, I love the song and and it's an F, and I like F, you know, and all this stuff. And and so I just sort of thought, well, let's see what I can, what I can do. And, and it's just, it's all kind of pretty much homophonic. I just figured out these weird chords and and like tried to break what you, what you'd expect to hear. Like, well, you know, you might expect to modulate to there because the cadence is leading you there. And then uh, the last moment you snatch it away. And and I, I was very young. I was about fifteen or sixteen when I did the arrangement. And and it was just a, it was it was a laugh because I took a lot of the harmony that I'd sort of devoured throughout my life in terms of so many different things um, I poured it into this arrangement one thing I, I realised now that I started to talk about and didn't finish was um, the thing of doing opera at a young age I did this opera called The, the Turn of the Screw which is by Benjamin Britten I don't know if you know it, but it's just brilliant yeah. it's like I mean the story is a horror story but it's uh, and it's, it's I mean the harmony is like it's just beyond man it's like 12 tone rows and stuff but it doesn't sound bad it sounds like hmm. it, you know it doesn't even sound unrealistic or really dissonant or just horrible it sounds just majestic and like ridiculously big and the, the harmony of that just set me off and I was just I was I was there I did it three times I did it in Spain and Italy and I did it with ENO in London and um, and all of these experiences were different like the second experience the whole set was made of ice and the the, the stage was made of black felt so it's black felt and ice it's just like it's really striking and amazing mm. and um and actually, the, the director of that production is called Tim Carroll. He was massive for me in terms of thinking because we we didn't get up off our chairs and start um, start acting and moving around the stage until about maybe two days before we went on and did the first night. And we spent all of that time sitting down in a row, looking at the looking at the score and obviously rehearsing how to sing it and 
interacting with each other. But he did this thing with verbs. So he, he there'd be a line, and and it might be like a really charming line, you know, like a, like something that's meant to be delightful. And he'd say, well, if the verb is to charm, then let's just reverse the verb. So let's let's horrify, you know, hmm. instead. And and so what we we we'd write these verbs, and I learned loads of new verbs. It was awesome. I like we'd we'd write these these verbs above the line, and we'd sing, and and it would be the opposite verb to the one that was intended. But you get this horrible undertone of the old, of the other one because it just comes out, and it was like this awesome thing. And I figured out like there's this emotional thing again that I can like really I could relate to it like even better than the adults hmm. sometimes because the adults were used to. I mean, there were some incredible singers on that production, but they they had this regimented way of working, and and I didn't have a regimented way of working, but I did have like an emotional palette for things. So, so that thing, I was just I was just so up for that, you know, that was great. Um, and I, the harmony of the harmony of that that Britain thing, and and I got into some choral music just because I sang, and that joined up with Take Six, and I was really into like Jeff Lorber and obviously Stevie Wonder, and and a whole bunch of things like Steely Dan, and right, and and it just like there was this thing where I had the, all these things and, and it, out it came, you know, I didn't really think too much about it. It just sort of, it found its root somewhere. I've heard you talk about Stevie Wonder and how important yeah. there was one specific record for you. Uh, yeah, there's there's a record called Hot, Hotter Than July. Yeah. And I, I just remembered like dancing, dancing in that room back there. Um, I, I mean, I was, I was brought up on good music, basically. Yeah. I think I was just fed sounds that were great and that was one of my most favorite records. So that was on in the house and... And and I had this weird memory where if I had sort of gone into something, I would like I know every note of that record, and it's just one of those things where I devour something, whatever it was. Like I devoured Times Tables, and I devoured hmm. like the number seven for a bit, and I devoured sort of like harmony more recently, and and a lot of rhythmic ideas, and and I think when I get hold of something, I just squeeze it out and really like get it. But that record was, I mean, there are a few Stevie Wonder records, but that one I just I I think goes back the earliest because it was the first one I think I heard. And like there's the the first track on that record is called Did I Hear You Say, and it's like the the beginning it's, it's this build up. It was like ah, and it's like so exciting, and it's just so th- I, I I was so excited by it. It was just utterly captivating to me, and the, I mean the songs are so strong. Stevie Wonder, man, you know it's he's just he's the man. You mentioned with the videos that you sort of just started to to play with it and give it a try, and one thing led to another. But before you were talking about the videos, you were kind of talking about how learning about EQ and production. You just sort of sorted it out, like let's say the bass was doubling something in the low end. You figured out that maybe you would mix it differently, but also I imagine it affected the way you thought about arrangement. Like you probably learned oh, yeah, how to yeah, kind yeah. of look at the f- whole spectral Absolutely. palette. Oh, I mean, in terms of voicings, def- I mean, you know, when when you record three parts, as I did for many years, and it's funny if there was a if there was a chord that I wanted to put a different note, and I just add one, you know, because I could. It's like some chords with four parts and. And some even with five or something. I mean, fascinating rhythm. I was look, there. Are, seems like there are moments in it where I can't really tell how many voices yeah. you're in, but it, yeah. it's really dense. It's it's dense. Yeah, it's very it's very it's very dense. I mean, I think it's. I think what you're absolutely right in terms of just organizing how sound fits together in a visual in a visual sense. Well, that's the question that you know. If learning how to deal with the audio world kind of helped you to sort that out. How did thinking about it visually when you did the arrangement? Because in most of the videos, it seems like you were watching you play it. I mean, I yeah. don't know if you're going back after the fact and replaying it or not, but it seems like we're watching you do the take. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the one thing. I, I mean, I'm not that I'm not that great at video editing. I, I've learned it in the same way as Logic, but I've known it for far less time. And I, I managed to get hold of Final Cut Express from my from my school, 
I just sort of I I managed to get it home and 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 I I just sort of thought well all I want to do is just show what's happening. Right. I don't want to like go this crazy like <laughs> zooming across the screen right. and making weird like things turn outside inside out and the colors go crazy. I just wanted to just show show the deal because that's I think the clearest way you can um, do that. And so I just figured out a way to like I I, I used like a like 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 your laptop. I yeah. used the little laptop um, built-in camera to do lots of them. And, and more recently for the last two, I used my sister's iPad. I filmed it on that and just put them in and, and show what's happening. When you know that you're going to have to show it visually, does it, it have an impact on the on the arrangement itself, on what you decide um, to do? I think it can do, but not really, just in terms of the music is, is the thing for me. So, so I mean, it's all very well being visual and, and stuff. And, I, and actually, when I get into it, I loved, I loved editing that those videos and, and stuff. And it can be a bit frustrating, especially with Final Cut Express, because I had to render... And rendering is, I mean, I obviously had a codec missing or something because for one minute of footage I had to render for like an hour. And so the moment you change anything, like a color in one of the takes, you have to, the whole thing has to render. So I had to do the whole thing blindly, like looking at different frames and, and getting it, making sure it was trying, trying to get in sync. And it would render for four hours overnight and I'd wake up and something was wrong and I had to do it again. But um, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's a separate process from the musical process. But, you know, I, th- I think of various things might occur to me when I'm when I'm recording and make me think well how would I how would I do that and I might change my mind I might think well yeah there's a maybe I'll use instead of doing this weird sort of bell or something I'll, I'll use like a synth because then you can show it's a synth on the keyboard you know the bell would look weird on the video so so you you think about that kind of thing and and I, yeah I think I, I do think one informs the other but I, I absolutely would I basically record what I want to record yeah I mean I, I'm I'm working on a new video at the moment it's almost finished I'm unbelievably excited about it. It's really exciting, but it's not it's not easy to to show because it's not I mean most of it it's not six six faces it's like a it's a groove. And so I have to try and think about I'm I'm still trying to figure it out just how that's going to work because you know it's it's nice when you've got six faces and they're singing and and I think even if the music goes over your, over your head or or you don't like the song or it's just a bit whatever it's too much information or it's not enough information or whatever then then you you can relate to like this this kid singing to you. It's just like a funny sight, and so I think that's a strength with regard to making videos. If you can get something that just can directly get, there's no there's no funny business that you just get what you, you know what I mean. It's like there's there's something you see there's something, yeah there's something refreshing about that thing of just seeing what's going on, and then when when lots of things are going on like in the in instrumental bits, then your eye can just follow wherever it wants to follow, and and you know it might it might make you want to watch it a couple of times just to get, make sure you get different things, and and I have, I have little sort of little secrets hidden in the videos like if you look at one guy for ages he might do something that's like quirky or or weird and most people don't don't notice them and and occasionally someone will and it's really fun when they do because i'll sort of realize they've no because i mean for me it's just the whole thing is is just a whole lot of fun right and it's it's never it's never really like a thing i I need to do it's just a if i have a if i have some time i'll definitely make a video because it's just such it's like the best thing ever once you started to put these videos up and realize that people were watching them Mm. and interacting with you and responding did that change your thinking about them or your feeling about doing them yeah i mean i think inev- inevitably it does um, you have to i think if, if you're if, if you mean business with your art at one stage you have to just completely disregard everybody else um and just say well i don't mind what people think and it's actually it's, it's not even my business what people think it's just me doing my doing my thing and you can definitely learn loads from what people say but I think to engage with it, it, it can mean just like emotional suicide. It's just like that is, if if you think, well, oh, you know, 
this man thinks that this chord there's an amazing comment I got on one of my acapella videos and so, someone just sort of said well like I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a vocal arranger myself and I wouldn't put two notes next to each other just because like that's not great to do that it's, that's not great um, you know try and like maybe maybe space it out by like an octave or something so it's not I just that's the kind of thing that makes you really smile because you think well Oh, it's such a weird world, the internet, and all, all the sort of weird guys come out of the woodwork with their with their strange opinions and and people disbelieving you and people saying, well, it's obviously not just him doing it, or you know, he's just doing, he's just computerizing all the harmony, and or he's just kind of, and 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 you just have to think, well, that's fine, you know. When I was younger, like three years ago, when I was about sixteen or seventeen, I, I got heated up when people commented saying, you know, it's just it was all auto tune and all this kind of thing, and and I sort of fought back and said, no, it's not, you know, it's me. And then you realise just you're powerless to, to change it. So it's, it's cool. And, and I think enough people are, are moved by it and enjoy the music that it doesn't make a difference to me anymore. And, and I've got a lot of, you know, the, the amount of people that, have, that I've met and had the opportunity to sort of spend some time with or make some music with or have conversations with that, that just love it. And people who are musicians and non-musicians, really, it, it, it completely and utterly makes the balance complete. I, I'm not fussed about people necessarily doubting what is it that you're doing? I think if you invest in everyone's opinion, you're, you're lost. You know? Well, right. But the question is, how about the feeling on the other side? of? I mean, like I, I heard an interview that you did where you said Pat Metheny wrote to you within 24 hours. Yeah, that posting, was weird. Isn't she lovely? Or one of the... Oh, yeah. Of, oh, it's, it's or all the positive. I mean, we're sitting here right now because yeah. ultimately because of the videos that you posted. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just overwhelming. I mean, I do it in this room and I film it up in the loft. There's a, there's a row of cupboards and I, I put the computer on that stool and... Um, and uh, and I, I prop the, the the iPad there, and I, I film the stuff, and I zoom it back down here, and, and then I put it all together, and and there's that there's the really strange moment where it, you're you're just about to press go, and you think, well, you know, goodbye. <laughs> it was nice to sort of <laughs> nice to be a part of you for a bit, and and you're a part of me like for forever, I suppose, and and then and that's it, and it really doesn't belong to you anymore because it's like it's suddenly it belongs to everybody, and there's something really positive about that, and I think that's one of the things about living in this age that you have to learn to embrace to, just what it is to give to people I think um, in every way if you want to build relationships in general you need to do that but definitely in terms of music I think there's there's a thing where I don't think you should be too precious about you know that belongs to me and, and you have to make sure that you're, you've got it figured out but it, I, I think it's, it's cool it's just, it's just such a strange feeling you know to press go and, and suddenly you go to sleep and and you wake up and it's like there's this many thousand people have watched it already and this many people have written to you and this guy wants this and this guy wants this and you know this person wants to do a collaboration and this guy wants to get you on his on his you know tv show or his kind of radio show or and it's just it's lovely it's so overwhelming and and it's it's actually really hard to believe it because it comes in in a digital format on your in your inbox and and if it was like a handwritten letter or like a voice message it might be different but um it's it's just the words it's the same font as you know, my, my best friend emailing me with a cool link to check out. You know, it's right. like there's something that is hard to believe when you see it. And I mean, when I got the thing from Pat Metheny, I, there were a couple of people I texted sort of, you know, what are you doing? Stop messing around. You know, it's, it's obviously you. <laughs> and then if it turned out it was Pat Metheny, you know, and it's, it's great. And I think it's it's just amazing that that is possible to to be instantaneously just just connected with all these different people and they can connect with you. And, and it's amazing. But I, I think it's, if you if you suddenly if you dive into it and it's your whole world then you go crazy and you also lose your grounding on the on the floor like you have to realize it's one thing it's one part of one part of your life so for me i mean you know one of the things i do as a musician is is to make these videos and it's like it's such a lovely thing to do and i love being in this room it's like my it's where i'm at, maybe at, at my most sort of 
just content as being in this space and, and working you know with with myself and just make it, crafting a sound and working out what grooves the hardest and all this kind of stuff it's like my own little thing and I love that experience and that's one thing that I do as a musician and one of the things is making the videos and, and one thing that happens from making videos is that people get in touch and, and you can't make that be bigger than, than the rest of you and especially I think just for the sake of your ego you know you can't think well hey you know check me out I've got this hundred messages in my inbox all these people want you know something from me and and if you're not careful you just think well that becomes a thing where you you feel like you people want to you know use your abilities and and stuff and then and then you know and suddenly you realize well I, I, I don't know I don't know if that's 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 not the deal is it that's not that's not what it's about it's it's just kind of it's it's a different it's, it's a different world now where everything's possible so so quickly but I mean like in this household we we still turn the internet off and all our phones off every night and just sleep properly without any connections and it's, it's awesome because <laughs> it's like properly you you pull the plug and then you can have a sleep hmm. and and for me I find it sometimes hard to sleep because I'm worrying with ideas but at least I'm not worrying with like actual messages because I think that would be that would be kind of the, the the death of my peace of mind and it's good to get some time out from everything that's going on as as any kind of I think definitely musician but just human being if you can get a time out of your work I watched this amazing talk where a TED talk where this man was talking about um how every seven years he takes one year out of his work and just does whatever he wants to do, mm-hmm. like learn a language or go traveling or just you know get a get a skill or just see see something he's never have an experience that's new, and then he goes back to his work and he's fully inspired and and, and sort of recharged. And I like that. I would never do it myself, but I think it's a great it's a cool thing to think about. Well, it seems like the work that you're doing is everything that you want to do. I mean, you seem yeah. to have sort of woven that mentality just into your overall. Mo like the way just the way you're operating. It seems like anything that is attractive to you or nourishing to you in some way, it goes in. Yeah, there were never any boundaries. Particularly, I was never discouraged, pretty much from doing from doing anything. It's it's, it's just a thing where if there's something I want to follow, then I fo- I think that I'd definitely say that to anybody who is wanting to to do something. I mean, what I what the thing I had was like a foundation of things that I loved, and so I had an emotional connection with the things I loved, and so that so that those are there. And it was never like it came from a thing of a dutiful me being a student or a dutiful me learning something that I had to do. I like everything that I've I've sort of become fascinated by and loved is just it comes from you loving it. So yeah, I think you're right in terms of um, me now making music. It's just kind of me making the music I, I want to do. And it's funny, a lot of people want you to do, to do what they want you to do. It was interesting. I was in contact with with. Um, I mean, there there have been so many people that have that have been in touch. And, and and so many people will write to you and say, well, you know, I, I demand that you do this. And, and you know, <laughs> I, I would very much like you to, to do this. <laughs> and, you know, or even like, I mean, at the moment I'm working out how to sell my acapella arrangements in PDF form in sheet music. A lot of people sort of are really kind of freaking out and, and want them. And, <laughs> and that's really, that's really nice. And it's a bit of a bummer with copyright because you have to make sure it's clear. Otherwise, you know, it's not, it's not on. And I'm, I'm figuring it out. I mean, I'm, I'm getting it sorted. It'll be up really soon. Um, but people will say, you know, I'll give you, you know, three hundred dollars, and you send me that PDF, you know, please now. And and you sort of think, well, no, it's, it's it's not that simple. You know, there are things that I want too. And you know, the whole of, you know, the, the, I I was I was I was dealing with um, with Universal over the past year, the record company, and uh, and they I, I made some demos for them, which was really exciting, and it was a great experience. And and uh, and I, I built these sounds, and and I wrote some songs. And, uh, and I made did some arrangements, and they were kind of rough because they were demos. And I I did them for Universal, and 
and um, and it's interesting that whole experience because you know the, the record industry is, is a di- is, the whole thing is a different world it really is a different world so there's so much more power in the artist's hands in the creator's hands in general anything you want to do just do it you know I mean it's, it's, it's kind of a simple it sounds simple when you say it and actually sometimes people's situations don't enable that to happen but um, I think the, the difference now with dealing with a record company is that it's not something that you necessarily need. One of the things I was thinking about was, what are you going to change about this? You know, I mean, this is so fully formed and coherent that it's hard to know what improvement you could make. You could go into a better studio. But in terms of executing these ideas, these ideas are fully executed. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I always I always made sure that was, that was happening. I, I would... If I did something, I'd really do it to the nth degree. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a sort of... I'm definitely a kind of perfectionist in terms of making things right and making things happen. And for me, it would be bizarre to get another dude in here with, so saying, well, no, no, not, I don't like that you know, I don't like that chord or I don't like that <laughs> section. So can we, can we cut it, please? Let's cut it. And that would be really, for me, bizarre because it's always been me doing it. And this is my generation where people do things and they learn skills alone and... And so the whole thing of record, I mean, some, you know, there are some people like, for example, if I, if I was, you know, I, I, I met with a, a singer songwriter a few weeks ago, who's a, a sort of a friend of mine. And, and she is really looking for like somebody to help her out. Like she, she, she'd like someone to, you know, she, she's written these great songs and, and all she really needs is someone to take the songs and, and bring them to life, you mm-hmm. know? And, and I think there's so much power in the, in the producer's hands, you know, like it could be a pop hit, it could be like a sort of folk thing, or it could be like an R&B song, or, or just a, like a, a really strummy, like open, vibey kind of thing. And there are so many options, and it's in his hands. So these songs are just naked at the moment, and they need somebody to dress them. Yeah. Um, and and does, that, does that appeal to you, being the it, person it, to dress? It really absolutely does. Well, yeah, it does to be, to be the dresser, but, yeah. but not, not to be the, the sort of songwriter who's at the mercy of, of different people. And... and that's not putting them down. I mean, sometimes it can be just transformative and people are over the moon with the result. And actually that's not that common as far as people that I've, I've spoken with. I think a lot, a lot of the time they think it's exciting, but sometimes it goes beyond their understanding and sometimes it goes beyond their vision. And sometimes sometimes their vision is not very far reaching and that's fine. But uh, I think that the thing about my generation of music creators is that um, I mean, I, I speak d- definitely for myself and for a few other friends, but I've had to learn to be a producer as well as a as well as a writer and an arranger. It's like that's part of the. It's almost I'd almost say it's more it's more of the package, you know. It's getting getting it to sound right, and so that that's my, that's me as a musician. Is I you know I, I've gotten these skills that I've fo- I followed through, and one of them is, is sort of trying to understand harmony and put it together and, and playing the piano and playing the bass and, and singing and things, and and then there's the thing of of you know how, how to work arrangements and work different voices and then there's this entire entirely different side of the coin which is how to get them into a format where they sound great and and, and you know and they're they're synced up and they're in time and they're in tune and they're or they sound great because they've, they've been EQ'd properly and and I, I don't pretend to be a master at this in the slightest I've, as I say I've got my got my stuff from just experimenting and finding things that work for me but it's I, I think now um you, you have to be cautious because if you're not careful you'll sign something that has, has, has shiny money on it and then suddenly there goes your ability to have any control over what you want to do and I haven't actually had any direct experiences which you know wherein those that has happened where someone's taken away my thing but I do know I know horror stories sure you, know. you said you know people have contacted you kind of letting you know very clearly what they want mm. 
And you mentioned that you have things that you want as well. Yeah. So, I mean, do you have a sort of clear idea of some of the things that you do want? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I, I said that and it means it means a couple of different things. One of the things is obviously when you're when you're making a track and making an arrangement, then, then you, you know what you want because and, and hmm. it helps to bounce stuff off. You know, like I get my mum in here and I say, you know, what do you think of this? And she'll say, well, you know, yeah, that's that's great, but it's it's just that bit. Why that bit's weak, or that bit's like too loud, or something? And and I'll think, oh yeah, no, it is. And and a fresh pair of ears can be great, right? And that and that could be the relationship with a producer. Absolutely. It could be something as simple as Ab- that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not. I'm not at all averse to working with. And you have that. People. And you have that relationship yeah, with your mother, absolutely. right? Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's nice, and and I, I won't get offended, and I won't get sort of upset, and and she won't get offended if I disagree with her. But I think just the the thing of bouncing off any idea with any other person. <laughs> Is a, is a constructive thing if you allow it to be. So it's exciting, and, and so yeah. So with with regard to that, I I know what I I know what I'm looking for. And I, I sort of try and work out how to get it. But in terms of what I what I want in in a broader sense, um, I mean I'm, I'm still figuring it out like everybody else. But hmm. I definitely like to make a record, and that's something I'm working on at the moment, which is dead exciting. I'm yeah. very very hyped about it um, in a in a major sense. Um, and also I'm putting together a live show, and that's also ridiculously exciting because. The, the deal is that people want to see what they what they see on the videos this sort of crazy multi-tracking lots of different things at once and there's this one kid that's doing all the instruments and things and if I can bring that to life and I think there are ways and means I'm trying to figure it out I'm speaking with a few different people about it but um, it's it's crazy I mean I, I I know that I'm going to be opening up for Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea the Montreux <laughs> Festival in the summer which I'm really excited about blimey and it's a, it's a set there that I'm I'm going to be doing a thing and that is a thing that I will be building over the next year I've got some ideas I did I mean I played Ronnie Scott's a couple of weeks ago and it was the 55th anniversary concert and um, and I, I took my little looping machine that yeah. I was sent from Electro Harmonics and I, I did Watermelon Man with the, with the beer bottles um, like the thing and it was great man it was it was it was fun because because people enjoy the process of seeing you build something live they, yes they, they like saying oh I, you know he did that oh he's doing that again and 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 it's a simple it's a simple pleasure, but it's really stimulating. It's really engaging, and if you do it right, it's really exciting. So it's working out how to do the looping thing and and getting instruments around that you can deal with, and 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 working out if there are songs for the record that would that I would maybe write in conjunction with the live show, like how to set things up in Ableton or like there's a launch pad over there that I I was um, I, I have, and and so it's. It's working out how to get the things into the right places and memorize where things are, and and it's it's almost like if, if I if I engage with it at the level at which I have engaged with um, logic or harmony, then it could be exciting because I'll really kind of delve deeply, um, work out things that work. But as far as you know, I mean, so yeah, there's the record and there's the live show, and it'd be nice to finish college and it'd be nice to sort of get a bunch of singers together. That's a, that's a bit of a dream of mine. Well, so that's one of the, the, the questions I have is, you know, everything that you have put out into the world publicly has been very self-directed and, yeah. and, and alone, you mm, alone. Yeah. What is the experience of, you know, collaborating, applying all of this to, yeah. to working with other musicians? Mine, it's a different process. I mean, just playing with other people. It's a, it's a skill. It's a, it's a skill. Um, and yeah, interestingly enough, when I, when I started the Academy couple of years ago it was a skill that I just hadn't developed nearly as much as the as my understanding and my sort of my playing alone and singing and alone and stuff and and it's hugely enjoyable when you when you hack it and before it can be a bit frustrating because you know like you know what you want and and then and and then they don't understand what you're looking for because they're, they're a different person so you have to try and understand 
that in order to share ideas, you'd have to have empathy and all this kind of things. And and it's nice. And it's, it's been a great thing to to check out like a compliment and and a variety of other things that I sort of I kind of knew, but not not in in a direct physical playing with another person way. Um, at you know at the level at which I'd, I'd done some, some other things that I've really become interested in. So so playing with other people is nice, and then working and writing with other people. I mean, I've I've done bits of it, and it's it, it can go both ways. I mean, sometimes it's wonderful. You know, you 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 present an idea, and and the other guy just knows what you either knows what you want or says something you you never expected, yeah. and, and that blows your mind. And you think, well, yeah. And actually, sometimes working with other people, even like students, it can really open your mind because they'll. I might show them something or 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 present an idea or something and they'll say well yeah but I like don't do that thing and it's it's not like a teacher telling you not to do something it's like a it's like an equal or or something so so then then it makes you think and it makes you think well you know your your, your immediate response is well, no I want to do that and actually then you think well no then there are all these other things that are possible and I think that's great when you work with somebody else you build between you yeah. this thing which is it's a shared thing and and it's important to not be too proud of your own ideas and to be proud of your your like your contribution. You're just like a you're one more member of the ensemble or one more member of the duo or the group that are putting together this thing, and, and you're just a sort of that's your thing. And it's like it's like learning how to share. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting game. Completely. I spent the the first part of my musical career writing songs alone as well, and my idea of co-writing was just full of compromise. Mm-hmm. My concept of it for a long time was, well, that's just me not getting to write the song that I hear in my head. I get to write half the song that I hear in my head. And only over time, and like you say, learning to share, I think do you realize like, oh, but it may be something different and special and possibly better or at least more surprising. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Emerge. I mean, it, sometimes it takes another person to, to strip down my sort of mad ideas because I have loads of mad ideas a lot. And so it'll be like, wow, you know, this note, C sharp, so many things you could do with that note, man, you know, this crazy, crazy stuff. And and if you if you sort of set me off, then I'm just off, and I'm, I've got all the, and I just pour out loads of ideas. And sometimes someone just needs to say, well, no, no, wait, wait a sec, or you know, let's just let's let's do something that has, or like, wait for that idea, wait, do it later, or or um, let's start it in four parts and then go to six, or <laughs> or, or like let's split that chord into two, so it's like a polychord, and then one guy could do this and one guy could do this and it takes the other person to, to like crack open your the eggs of your ideas as it were and and to milk them out you know really kind of understand what they're capable of like sometimes you can't do that you have so many ideas I mean that's a question <laughs> that I have for you is is just you know if it's a challenge to contain your ideas yeah. because th- these videos that you do you have all this freedom to kind of like whatever you hear and whether you think yeah. whatever you think is appropriate, you can do it. Oh yeah, it's a it's a massive yeah. You've you've hit the nail on the head. It's a real challenge for me sometimes. Um, what I'll do when I start a, an arrangement sometimes is I'll just I'll pour ideas. Like when I did fascinating rhythm, I was in the garden. I had my my iPhone and you know the, you do the voice memos on iPhones and and I made a big voice memo. I walked around for about an hour in, in circles and. And I just, for some reason, I was just at that moment, it was just, it all came to me. So I just sort of thought, well, shit, yeah, I could do this thing. And wow, you know, this cause would be so surprising here. And, and, and this event and like a moment when they all do different notes. Yeah. And, and then I had the idea for the groove in the middle and, and just, a, and the introduction with the different faces coming in. And the ending was originally a different thing. And I only thought of the ending when I was recording. But it. all of those ideas came but, to yeah, you in this hour. Of- yeah, there was, I, I had a few minutes of walking around and recording. And I, I put that file onto Logic. I sliced it up into all the different ideas, and I made a different different tracks. So like there was 
verse one, verse two, melodico solo accompaniment, um, middle groove, third verse. And then there was like an intro and outro thing, which, which didn't really contain many of the th- ideas because most of them were bulk of like, like ideas for like sort of, you know, comp- like or something. And that was one of them. And so that was, that went to the first verse thing. And, and I mean, most of the ideas are third verse material because they're just so complex. And, and like, I'd be in the garden I, I'd, and I'd get a voicing like, oh yeah, you know, do like, like, or something. And I'd be like, yeah, wow, great. And then that goes in and, and, and often you start with a thing and then suddenly you realise when you're doing it, it's just too much. So you have to strip it down. And yeah, it's, it really is a challenge because you have to work out how to, how to make it a, like a, a sort of palatable experience, I suppose. When you think about making a record where there is no visual necessary, I mean, I don't know if you're thinking about what the visual component of your record is, but when you think about making this music just as, like you say, as a palatable experience, are you approaching it a little bit differently? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I, I mentioned earlier before we started the interview that I, I do listen to two records every day, pretty much. Um, on your way to school and on your way back. Yeah, I've got that beautiful, beautiful, you know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes where it's like food time, you know. This is dinner, dinner time, breakfast and dinner. And so it's like, you know, I, I did people's whole, 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 um, whole catalogue, you know. So I, I just finished The Beatles. Hmm. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty heavy stuff. It's kind yeah. of mind-blowing and... and um, you know, you you understand where they started and where they finished off, and and it just the whole way the sound is put together and the songs, and it's just inspiring, and and it maps out in your mind. You know, it you know talk about ideas that I, I'm just I'm fed lots of information. I suppose I, I'm I'm receptive to taking the parts that I love, and I when I listen to music, it's funny because when I, when I listen to records, I don't have a prop, I don't really have a problem with understanding the harmony as it goes past. I, I like I know what what the key it is and. And what the what the chords are, and how the chords are voiced, and sort of what the melody is. But um, the the challenge for me is listening to it first without the information, because the information just presents itself to me. So I have to like you know keep, sort of keep it at arm's length. How do you do um, that? You just have to co- you just have to not concentrate. So you just have to sort of focus. It's a bit like meditation. You have to focus on the fact you're not focusing, and just just let the music reach you instead of reaching out to the music. Um, it's a you know it's, it's a nice idea about just how to live and how to get any ideas I think but yeah because you know they a, a lot of musicians don't think about harmony in like a vertical way or they don't think about melodies even as like even as kind of specific notes they're just melodies that occur to them and, and I think it's important to be open to their way of thinking which is this music as a stream of consciousness sometimes or things that are put together and people people that don't understand harmony from the point of view of someone like myself who has kind of studied it alone and worked out how it fits together and and how how harmonies can relate to each other and like a framework of understanding you know various modes and and modes that I invent myself and all this kind of crazy stuff hmm. and people don't think about most people don't think about that so it's important to be aware that that is real without it being information so for me I try and let the music just hit me in the face as as what it is and what's interesting is that um, depending on if I if I do a long journey to I mean for example I, I just I spent a weekend at Rod Temperton's house hmm. who's he's a wonderful songwriter he did some oh, just tons of amazing stuff he's just a wonderful and hilarious guy but I listened to the whole of, of Jimi Hendrix on the way to his house and so now when I hear it, I have the image of all the stuff that was going outside the window um, which is like a sort of accompaniment to that experience and so that is that colours the thing as well and so it's where you are emotionally on that day physically where you are and what time of day it is and it, it builds into the experience of the album you know so having listened to all of these albums 
How does that impact your thinking about making an album? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good question. Massively. I mean, there is, I've maybe listened to 400, probably around 400 records in the last year, maybe. And it's just, I'm so passionate about listening to music that I have all these reference points of different ways people have built you yeah. know, their 45 minutes of sound. And and it's it's just inspiring. And it's also overwhelming, um, realising what's possible. Because everything is possible if you sort of are open to it. So... It's, I think it's it's to do with not it's the same as I was saying before it's not reaching out for your ideas it's just letting your ideas come you know, come to you so it's like I had I had this amazing lesson with a guitarist um, from from here from 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 the UK called Mike Walker mm-hmm. he's a jazz guitarist I suppose jazz but he's a, one of these sort of astronomical thinkers and a wonderful human being and we were talking about melody and I was I was asking him how you know how does one come up with a melody which is heartfelt? It's a real melody. It's not contrived. and It's not sort of anything. And he said, you know, go go to the piano. So I went to the piano and he said, play a chord. So I played a chord. Um, and he said, now play a melody over the chord. So I played a melody. And it was all right. You know, it's like a sort of all right melody. And then um, then uh, then he said, play the chord again. So I played the chord again. And he said, so now now sing a melody. So I sang a melody and, um, and it was better. You know, it's like a more coherent. It came from my voice. So something was better. And um, and then he, he said, you know, play the chord again. So I played it one more time. And he said, this time, imagine somebody, like a girl, singing the melody into your ear and just sing back what what, what you hear. Just let her sing to you and sing, sing back. And so I played the chord and I sang a melody. And it was just fantastic. It was a great melody. It had rhythmic impetus. It had structure. It had a sort of sing-song thing. And it was hmm. just, it was this amazing realization that you have to let ideas reach you you can't reach for the ideas and you have to be patient with that and it's, it can be a bit of a struggle because obviously you you want to do stuff and especially when you get excited about different projects you think oh I really want to write some songs or I really want to write an arrangement and and always almost without fail the best and most inspired moments come when you're not on, you're not searching for the things that something just hits you like you hear yeah. something um you know or someone says something or or whatever, and 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 it hits you out of the blue, and and your guard isn't up, and you're not searching; you're just allowing things to happen. You know. I I just recently had a conversation with Gil Goldstein mm, about yeah. the difference between arranging and composing. That's an interesting one, yeah. And and I think to a degree you're you're speaking to that point a little bit because you know you seem very free in an arranging context, you know, but you have the impetus of an of a comp, pre-existing composition, even if you sort of dispose. You know the harmony is disposed. Yeah. Well, maybe not disposed, but yeah. the harmony is di- is is flexible, and <laughs> yeah. the rhythm is negotiable. Yeah. And but there's right. some fundamental truth that's still there that you're working. Oh with. yeah. I mean, for for me as an arranger, the the songs that have the most strength in terms of arranging and choosing a song is a song where the melody is something that can stand alone. I mean, that's like that's the thing. So if there's a song as great as a Stevie Wonder song. Um, what you find is that it doesn't matter what you do to change that harmony and make it all mucked up or beautiful or opened out or whatever it is, um, the melody will stand and it's, st- it's strong. And I think without that thing, it's like, say, you know, if you took a complex jazz melody or something, then it, there was no, I mean, what's the, 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 there's already complexity in the melody, so, so you wouldn't build more mm-hmm. more chaos underneath it because it, it already has chaos. So you have to listen to the melody. And, you know, a, a, many of the songs that I've chosen, the, the melody is... As a as a as as notes and and a shape, it's maybe kind of simple, and so that gives me the space as an arranger to build underneath it. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And what about lyrically? You know, you haven't talked mm. at all yet about the challenge of actually having to write 
the lyrics yeah. that you have to I, say. I, I mean, it's something um, I write. I mean, I write, I write words a lot. I mean, I have a book of thoughts that I keep in my bedroom, and I write loads of things. And normally, it's not sort of things like things that happen to me, but it's more just uh, like weird metaphors. Because I think I think a lot in terms of things that are just are other things or hmm. have connections with. You know, I don't really look at the world in in a really logical way. I think of it in a kind of strange way, which I've kind of developed my own my own understanding of, of stuff and and a lot of it comes from thinking emotionally as I was saying before but so I write a lot of a lot of weird worlds and it's interesting when you start writing you can just write whatever you like it doesn't matter so you can just create all these strange and hilarious or, and really sad or whatever it is it, it's fine and that's what it is to be an artist I think at, at, the, at the optimum level you can just express anything anything you want to happen anything you wish hadn't happened hmm. anything like somebody you, you wish you'd meet like you know some kind of experience that you just yearn to have or or something that that you'd hate to happen or and like it's just have you can have fun with writing and and doing and so lyrically speaking um because i write a lot in prose i just write prose um i got recently quite into nonsense poetry and i think it's fascinating to think about nonsense prose <laughs> so interesting you just sort of write um with with it like an inbuilt logic that makes sense to like children and to people who aren't literal people um in terms of their structures of thinking uh and and just write and and it makes sense because you know what it means and and often people know what you mean it's funny how that works <laughs> out but but lyrically speaking it's it's definitely a challenge because i don't really write in rhyme but songs can really grow with rhyme i think it's a nice way of tying the ear into the song and, and it helps them be memorable and it helps it, it it kind of it helps the kind of the the, the general aesthetic is just you know, we were saying palatable. It it is. It's like a balance, like a poem. You know, and um, and yes, it's a new thing for me writing lyrics. But um, I have listened to many songs, um, and like a, another catalogue I recently finished was Joni Mitchell. Hmm. Um, it was just astounding. I love, I loved it. Yeah. It was wonderful. But her lyrics are quite something, and her songs are actually difficult to cover because they're so her, and the way she sings them are just that's built into the song. It's interesting that you mentioned that because when you tell the story of the guitar player kind of coaching you to mm. a melody, you know, the second melody that you sang was maybe the most sort of natural thing for your voice. Yeah. And the third one was a response to some imaginary voice. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, also that I think that what he was saying was that in order to write a heartfelt melody, it has to come through your heart. I, I had I had an emotional connection with that melody because it was a, you know, it's a girl that was singing the melody. So I was te- I was sort of tenderly listening. Alpha and and she was soft, you know, as a, as a presence. She was a soft. So I, I listened to, and I, I had the consideration just to sort of allow. But actually, it came from me, you know. Right. So it, that's the most honest. I think that was that's what he was getting at. Is it was the most honest place um, to find anything is that thing of you have someone or something which reaches out to you. You're not the reacher, you know. Right. I think. I mean, with lyrics, I think it's, it's kind of the same. You can't you can't set out with, you know, I want this rhyming structure. I want this kind of. I want to write a, a song about this. You know, you can't, I can't necessarily set out with that attitude. That's um, maybe to be abhorred. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe something that would be better would be, um, you know, if you take take one idea or, or like an experience that you have. I, I was speaking to one guy about songwriting who said that the best way to approach lyrics is to imagine two people. And it can be then a dialogue between the two people or it can be one person just explaining to the other person about an experience or maybe talking about where they are like look, looking around and looking outside of yourself and then look, coming back and you've got a context as a, as a listener and and or it might be something that the person really really kind of is trying to empathize with the other person and, and you're writing the song from the listener's point of view or from you know, from the voice which is speaking or 
or the voice which is disagreeing or or just in a horrible knot about what to do in in some kind of situation or or just unbounded joy and um but two entities in relation to one another that there I has think to so, be a relationship yeah. I between. I think so. I mean, that's not the be all and end all, but it right. was a nice image I yeah. found because it, again, it makes it makes it come through your heart. It makes you imagine a situation. It makes it real, and actually, it makes it far easier sometimes for the listener to understand because you are speaking, and so they they hear you better than if you're just sort of mumbling or or working out or kind of theorizing or or you know. There's I think it's a nice personal way to think about creating. If that imagining a scenario where you're engaged with the scenario. It's a nice way of creating, I think. Something you mentioned to me when you first got in from class today was about how being in in school is kind of helping to reinforce this general attitude that you have in your life about not being in a hurry about any of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a huge one, I reckon. Um, it seems that everybody's in a rush. I mean, that's that's what I have gleaned from my months uh, responding and, and being in contact with lots of people who, who look to work with you and and from you and, and gain from you definitely but um you know I, i'm not i'm not in a i'm not in a rush to sort of do anything and i think that the most important people at the moment um in my sort of career are with me on that you know all of, all of my, my management team and also my lawyer they're just fantastic with that and there's no need to to jump into a thing i don't necessarily feel like the, the music that i'm making is it's going, to, it's going to be any any worse, or going to suffer from the time that I'm I'm considering, I'm the, you know, the time during which I'm sort of considering it. It's a very funny but apt image, isn't it? The idea that yeah. if you don't do it right now, the music might suffer. Of course, but it's it, so weird. it doesn't so make weird. any sense. No, it really doesn't. I mean, everyone's up for like making stuff happen right now and being. It's the whole of my generation. It's it's, it's stimulation immediately. Please, I want to be engaged with a, a con, some content, some a video or. Or a record, or a, a, something like comedy, or that's why, like vines, you know, these seven-second videos—they've come in because it's like utter um, immediacy, yeah. you know, of stimulation. It's so interesting to observe. You know, even when you talk about the fact that it takes four hours to render four mm. minutes, because you're participating in a platform that is very immediate. You know, YouTube is one of these things where, you know, you could post a video today and it would blow up and disappear by tomorrow that's right yeah and you, but yeah. you're also taking time with these things and oh, they yeah. live in sort of indefinitely in youtube but they're also living in the world of this kind of disposable moving cyber yeah stuff. Yeah, yeah it's interesting i was watching an interview with sting um i mentioned before that sting is a bit of a hero of mine but sting um has this nice idea of right of it's like an image of understanding songs because he, he's written so many songs that are so great you know and he's still singing them now you know nearly whatever it's 40 or 50 years post writing them and I find that really inspiring and so he, he says this thing about songs which are like children so you, you know you, you, you sort of give birth to the songs and you watch them grow up and you, you, you kind of do what you can to help them <laughs> and then there's a moment where you have to sort of just sort of let them go and they other people sing them and, and you you might change them and do things differently sure. but it's a song and, and you helped form that song yeah. and I think if you don't take time to consider what something is in its most natural state whether it's like a recording or an arrangement or a song that you're writing or a, like a piece of work like a something you're writing or 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 like a, a, a relationship with another person it's like if you don't take time to consider that thing then it really can suffer i think as, as a result so the most important thing with regard to creating i think is is to make sure it's it's what you want it to be and some things like i, I was i mean i mentioned i got into hendrix um, and he wrote. I mean, I was I was watching an interview with this guy talking about "Wind Cries Mary," such a, such a beautiful song. And uh, 
and so it was kind of done in 20 minutes you know it was they were in the studio and out and it was done it was recorded and and that's astonishing and you could feel that like unbelievable raw energy which i think maybe needs you you need to be with somebody else to make something like that be complete in that space of time because you know if if i'm alone and i think well yeah boom i've got this conception of bass and drums and voice and all this harmony and stuff and then in order to put bring that to life like you can't do that in 20 minutes you have to you can't although you describe for example walking around in the garden Mm. for an hour and essentially that output of creativity yeah yeah, that can come in in an instant but i think it's it's learning to be patient with those things after they've exploded yes and just you know what i mean like learning how to milk the things and (laughs) and like just allowing them to find their place you know where they are in the thing and 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 not being afraid to change them, I think as well, and not being too proud of them, so that it, it is, is open. I think when you become proud of something to the extent where you close off any opportunity of change in your life as well, I think if you if you're not up for change, um, hmm. then you can just not. You know, it, it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a difficult one because anything that is thrown to you to sort of juggle with or or catch or or not catch or anything, it's it's, it's a struggle to to even consider yeah. something which is not your life or something which is not your situation becoming a part and maybe allowing you to grow it's we were talking earlier about collaborations it's the same thing you have to allow your ideas to change you have to allow yourself to change and trust yourself as a musician as a human being you know so that you can just grow without becoming too sort of locked into your own ideals and because i mean you're only small anyway it doesn't but you're just a small person so your ideas aren't the end of the thing but yeah i mean they can suddenly they can reach out to you and your ideas can be there and and I think you have to be patient with them. Same with everything else. How do you reconcile the work that you're doing as a just as a musician, as a pianist, as a bassist? Mm-hmm. As a, you know, we've been talking so much about your sort of general ideas about harmony and production and your 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 career, kind of as a I don't know, as an artist. Mm-hmm. But then you're also doing all this work really as a just as a proper musician as well. Yeah, like a sort of instrumentalist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one feeds the other. Obviously, everything that you learn, everything that I learn as, as a producer with, when I work alone is transferred to, you know, say, for example, if I'm studying a groove and I'm, as in, I'm, I make a groove and then I, I try and work out wh- wh- why, you know, wh- how, how something swings hard. It's great. <laughs> I, I spent an afternoon for this video coming out. It's, it's quite groovy. It's like a slow groove. And... um and uh, there's one bit where I wanted to find a groove that was just so just so groovy, <laughs> funnily enough. And so I, I spent an afternoon with a cup of a licorice tea. I do enjoy licorice tea. And uh, and so I I thought of all the different options of ways to make a groove swing. So there was bass and there was synth and there was drums. And the drums is going like... You know, and the bass is going like... You know, this thing. And then the synth's going like... You know, and and they fit together and they form a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I was I was thinking, well, how is it? How is it possible to to get this a groove? So the bass in the end did this thing where it's like, you know, this thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this. Yeah, um, comes from a lot of like Jay Diller stuff and, and amazing uh, people who changed divi- numbers of divisions in beat like D'Angelo. D- the D- Voodoo um, record. Don't even go there, man. That's like. That's the top. It's amazing how radical that record was for so many people. And it still people. is. Yeah. You know, it's recorded onto tape, which yeah. I think is awesome. And it's almost all live takes. Oh, it blows your mind. And you it know. just, I, all over the world, I talk to so many people who have just, their whole world yeah. has been it's shifted because, by I mean, that. D'Angelo never exploded as a superstar, but all like every musician has checked that record out because it's just so astonishingly brilliant. And it's such a sound. It's such a united sound. Yes. You know, with Pino and Questlove, and it's just like such a ridiculous thing. But anyway, 
huge like I was hugely into that I'm recently and this new video was very inspired by that um, I'm quite excited about the, the thing of, of sharing this this new thing but um, the, 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 this groove I thought about basically different numbers of divisions um, in, a, in a beat so as in obviously there's four um, which is quite common like so and then there's five which is awesome like you know it's great and then there's seven which I'm just trying to hack and and it's and and essentially they they all they all kind of fit together. Can you sing seven? Yes, it sounds like you know madness. But anyway, um, there's this thing that Questlove does on Voodoo where he does a lilt a lilting groove. Yes, like so the hi hat's not straight. You know, I I've very much been obsessed with this recently. And uh, can you play it? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's I've I've been basically trying to figure figure it out um, what it is. And so if you think about swing as being like a percentage, like fifty percent swing would be like, like absolutely straight, and then sixty six is tripleted. You know, like the ratio of two to one, and then there's like you know, for example, um, I mean, obviously seventy five would be, you know, and then there's like awesome ones like sixty, for example, which is three two, the ratio of three to two, so it's five divisions, so it's, you know. And that's, that's one. And there's there's hmm. there's four three, which is seven divisions. So which is like, yeah, yeah. So this is like even steeper than than um, it's like fifty fifty seven percent or something, and, and sixty is the five one. So there are different ways to make a lilt groove swing, and the best thing, which I've learned about groove, um, I've got this amazing teacher at the academy called Barrack Barrack, and he's he's just he's he's checked out so much music from like rhythmic music from the whole world he's a massive inspiration i think but he 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 was talking about this um this thing where in order to make a groove swing things shouldn't all line up that's why pop music doesn't swing sometimes because it's all quantized and autotune doesn't swing because it's all like pushed to the nearest equal temperament note but um you know so if like for example in in uh, in some cuban music uh where the you know there's 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 like a percussion section which is going like there's there's a bass there's the bass thing where you know where the bass goes like yeah um so if you check it out the bass is almost doing like the the third triplet um in a semi quaver groove so the groove is like and the bass going it doesn't it doesn't line up but that's what makes it swing. It's like the magic ingredient. So hmm. I figured this would translate <laughs> to a, a lilt groove. And so I, I, I tried all the combinations. So I did hi-hat in 3-2 in and I had bass in 4-3 and the bass was, and the, um, the synth was straight, 50. And then I, I switched them around. And the one I found at the, that worked the best was the bass, oh, blimey, what is it? The bass is 4-3, is, is the bass is in seven divisions. So basically going and the hi-hat is 50 straight so it's like you know what I mean yes and, and then the synth was like something else like the 5 one or like a the thing is once you put it down you can't become attached to it the information so you, you it's a, the information is like a starting point you know so yeah. I recorded those things in MIDI so I could move them yeah that's what I was going to ask you yeah yeah and then you can just re-quantize and then you could yeah re-quantize so then I 
you know, I figured that that was cool. And then I moved them a little bit out of quantized grids just to make it swing better. <laughs> um, and obviously, I mean, to go back to the original point, everything I learned from something like that experience completely and utterly helps my instrumental um, existence. Because, I mean, if I play drums, I've got all of that experiment behind me and it's informed me. And as a piano player, you can, it, the way that you accompany or the way you place things or where you groove things, it, it comes from the idea of, of blending different things together and making like a coherent thing, but it, not everything has to match up. You know, it's like if if I, you know, if like if there's a bass line that goes, and the synth goes, and it's like great, you know, cool, <laughs> like two people in unison. Um, yeah, but, in but, but, unison. yeah, but but if, if the synth goes like. Then it's cool. Suddenly it swings because they're doing different things. It's like a conversation. So I think groove. One thing I've really understood is that groove is like a conversation. So one thing feeds to the other, which feeds to the other, and they all flow instead of them being in unison. And loads of stuff's in unison a lot, um, like in pop music and the bass and the drums, for example, are in unison. Totally. The bass and the synth. It's fine, but um, I think when you when you look at things that really make you feel good and groove, then. Yeah, often they're not quantized and also they're not lined directly up. So is that a challenge? I find it's a challenge when you do everything yourself to figure out where to leave it a little sloppy. Yeah, you know what exactly, I mean? yeah. Because yeah. you kind of are aiming for precision. You're certainly aiming for it in terms of intonation mm. and execution when you're singing. And obviously, yeah. you know, there's a difference between a group of people kind of singing it almost perfect. Mm. And one person saying it almost perfect. Yeah, yeah it, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I think that there's there's a difference in stage of process here. So, you know, the stage where you're in the garden walking around with your iPhone and pouring the ideas down, that's like the rawest it gets, the most raw. And, um, and so that situation um, is a really important one to observe because you're not nothing is nothing is perfect nothing is becoming perfected they're just ideas you're just rambling ideas some of them are really silly and some of them are really inspired and then afterwards in retrospect you can look at the ideas and 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 you know like you know that thing where you record the first take and then and then then you do you know maybe like 10 more takes and none of them have the magic of the first take because in the first take there's like a complete lack of any contriving of something to get a to get a result it's just what it was you know or maybe it's just I'm trying to figure it out what that energy is, the first take energy, I you know. know. And is maybe the energy is thinking, well, this, you know, we'll, obviously we'll get it right after this. this yeah, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a complete lack of pressure. Yeah. There's, there's no, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you don't get it right. And that that's essential for, for example, a live performance, I think. You know, if you're thinking like, no, you know, there's this guy and I really admire, or there's this really, like, beautiful girl in the audience and, like, I really, like, I, I, have, to, I have to play this good. Like, this is essential. And then suddenly you've, you've lost the thing. It's, it's, you have to learn that really unbelievably difficult lesson which I haven't yet learned fully of just not minding what people think and 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 I mean this is kind of digressing but I just think it's madly important for for being honest if, if you're honest to yourself um before you mind then this but I you know well, I think recording in recording under a recording a recording studio situation you have to learn you know as soon as possible to get rid of your basically your ego and wanting to get the thing Perfect, but, but it seems like such a contradiction. I mean, it's absolutely true, but it seems like it's such a con- contradiction that the same impulse that allows you to want to share anything with the world publicly, mm, yeah, yeah, is the one that forces you to turn off worrying what anybody's going to think. I know it, it's, it's such a it's such a bad it's such a difficult thing. It's it's a really it's a hard one because you have to, you know, you have to 
do something the best you can and that means <laughs> pouring a load a whole load of love into that thing you know for me to to sort of to reach the end of the process and you think oh it's it's finished <laughs> it's, it's done and then suddenly you have to sort of just allow it to to go away and but you know when when you you spend so many hours and so much of your energy and your thought and your excitement you know just on this thing then then it needs to be able to go and that that's important to be able to not be tied to that thing you know but when you're recording under pressure like if you need to get a thing right or if you're doing a gig or or like this is your last take then we've got to pack up and then then there's this this energy that that um comes into your body it, it, it kind of makes you tense and there's this book that I'm reading at the moment called The Inner Game of Tennis. Hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's just superb. Um, it's almost a book about how to teach. So it's, it's it's dealing with with instruction, but it's kind of self-instruction. So it's to do with, he, he, he separates the self, he says, the self one, which is basically like your ego and your, you want the, the you that wants to gain and the you that wants to judge, really judge. And then self two, which is just your kind of, your instinct and, and the part of you which just kind of does things without thinking. And obviously, the older you get, the more advanced self one gets, and the more strategies it, it kind of, of it gathers for for judgment and judging yourself. Most of all, this is what the book's about, and how it, if people only trusted self two, then they could achieve the most unbelievable things. And it's self one that doubts that thing of, you know, imagine if like the floor is just taken away from under your feet, like who says you necessarily need to just fall? You, know, mm. you can just fly or something like that's You know what I mean? So it's. It's that idea where you you have to separate that thing of you wanting to basically gain and also just judging yourself because he says that basically judgment is if if you judge something then it's it's not going to enable the the most creative thing to happen. So the whole book is about tennis. That's the thing about tennis. I don't really play tennis, but I I love the I dig I sort of dig the parallel. So he talks about if say 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 you you know your opponent's playing really well, and if you said to your opponent, well. Hey man, you know what's your secret? Why are you playing so well today? There's something you're doing something right. You know what is it, man? Yeah, right. And he's he's lost it. That's it. That's the end of the that's the end of the the streak. Because suddenly it's like, oh shit, yeah, what is it I'm doing that's different? And and that that self judgment it just shuts him down. In the same way that if you said, well, you know, you're not playing great today, man. You know, you're right. It's the same thing, you know. And it's it's any any judgment, positive or negative, it's a judgment. So what it is, you have to basically learn how to notice things. That are happening and just notice them as they are. It's like it's just it's a it's a meditation. It is meditation. Yeah, but you you think well that's a that shot was well that shot went out you know it went out that's why it's not bad it just went out and and that's cool and it, it's not it's not actually a problem and and I think it's he gives this lovely analogy of a seed and how you know if you if you plant a seed and 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 just like wait for it to grow like right next to it and you're like really pumping it like oh can you please grow just I'm I'm so frustrated that it's it doesn't it doesn't make any difference you know with the seed you you plant the seed and, and you you sort of do what you can it's like the sting with the song you know you you kind of you do what you can for the seed you give it water and 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 it grows at its own rate and you just embrace the fact it's doing that and you accept it for what it is and um and and then and then it's got the space and the time and and it will grow and that's the opposite of this is a big digression but this is the, that's the opposite of what education does because in in a traditional sense um in like in its worst form because education shuts down people making mistakes is the idea so if you make a mistake then you're marked um down you're you're punished you know or you're, you you don't pass or you're you're put in a different class which is of a different you know a different standing or and, and it's it's not completely bad but i think what it is is judgmental and it doesn't encourage creativity 
and I think it's it's not a very personal experience. Um, I, a lot of I, I love there's a there's a TED talk called by Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson, on education. That's I think one of the most watched TED talks of all time. It's just superb, and he talks about learning. And it's the same idea of the tennis thing, where if somebody makes a mistake, you know, if it, if if your child is learning a language, um, I don't say this from experience, by the way, but um, you don't berate the child for getting things wrong. You know, you don't think, well, no, that's wrong. You know, you don't use that there. Most of the time, the parent will be encouraging and say, you know, might, might laugh. It'd be, it's, it's endearing when they make a mistake. You know, oh, he's just, he used the words, you know, hypocrite, but he used it in, he used it instead of patronize. I'll just remember a weird example. But um, <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's funny. It's it's a nice process of learning at one's own rate, and you just embrace and you affirm, and it's fine. And education doesn't do that. It it says, well, if you're not doing the thing that's there, or if you don't fit in, then you, I'm sorry, you just don't fit in, and you're a lot of less value. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think kind of think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a difficult one to get right, but important to address. I think you know it must be a strange feeling. I know that there are certain, for example, university choirs that are singing your arrangements. Really? Yeah. Or no, I, I saw a video. Yeah, yeah, I did see. Or or school students of some sort. I don't know where they are. Yeah, yeah. And that there's they're studying you, and that you know your essential point of view is you know be you find your way to do this. Oh yeah. I mean, I I think when you embrace learning in its fullest capacity. You understand that there's you can learn from anything, like anything you listen to, you can learn from. And so it's, I, I'm just really like I'm so delighted that that's happened. I, I'm really kind of flattered that they've 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 thought to you know look into what I'm doing and and get to the bottom of this stuff. And it's it's really lovely just for me to see. It. It's just so lovely. Yeah, I mean I I don't go about arranging as I've been saying. I don't go about arrangement from the point of view of well I want to make sure it's right. You know I want to. I, it doesn't come from any kind of any kind of big theory that I've founded it just comes from me being not necessarily having a lot of boundaries you know so like for example with a cadence when you resolve to a, a key center um like you know we, we learn about dominant chords and how a dominant chord leads to a you know dominant chord five leads to a chord one but um no one said that 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 has to be a cadence well people did but um let's not listen to them i mean it's, it's like who it doesn't matter a cadence is 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 tension to release that's what it is so that's what the ear hears the ear before it understands harmony or even knows there's harmony it recognizes tension and release right the same as in rhythm this is a really similar thing but um you know so a cadence doesn't have to be dominant to to one it can be anything you like it's just it's resolving and when you understand that then it's like well that's fine i can i can use any chords that i like for sure and as long as i understand that i'm resolving and that that's where i'm going and, and that's you know if i'm looking to understand what i'm doing which some people do then it's nice to be aware of things that work but you know for, for people who's kind of study harmony and maybe study my arrangements it's, it's, they, they might not I mean maybe they will find a, a secret that I don't know about but I don't follow any kind of regimented um, system I, I, I think about harmony as I've said before in terms of like an emotional experience but just voicings and things I'll, I'll find and obviously each voice moves to its its place and so you work out how it works but you, you just kind of you find you find your way through and, and it's it's thrilling and unexpected. That's kind of what I love about a lot of harmony, you know. I think the one interesting thing, though, is that we all hear something so obviously in our own head. And this is something that Michael Thurber said when I spoke right, to yeah. him. He said, you know, the thing that I'm learning how to trust is the voice in my head because it sounds so obvious sometimes to me that I have to remind myself that nobody else is hearing the voice in my head. Yeah, so yeah. even if it seems so clear to me, it might be totally innovative or strange or, or just new to somebody else because they they're not inside my head no you know? i mean everyone's got this this framework which is their own framework of understanding i mean yeah absolutely i think he's spot on about 
it's almost like listening to self too, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's just right. kind of, it's allowing your own voice, to, no matter how bizarre or, or, or unrealistic, you just think, well, no, I'm going to give it a chance. Yeah. And, and so that's like, <laughs> you know, so I, I think about when sometimes I get to, like I say, a dominant chord and there's no reason why the seventh should be a flat seven. I mean, it could be a major seven. Sure. And <laughs> I love that. Like there's a thing though, where as, as chord five, it's like a, this is, kind of, this is just kind of a bit geeky, but to be talking about this, but like um, it's like a sort of major seven sharp five thing. Mm-hmm. So like for example, a B triad over G, um, yeah, that's a killing dominant chord. It doesn't have an F in it though, but that's all right. Um, right. And so like you know sometimes if your ear, it, you learn this from from li- from listening and singing along to music, but your ear finds notes that don't don't exist in terms of like the the rules. It's like well it's fine. You just may as well just do it. I mean, there's a thing I think about you know Lydian the mode Lydian. Yes. And so Lydian's one of bright modes, you know, and uh, and so I've always found it frustrating that Lydian just stops and then just goes to C. You know, say if you're in C, it will go C, E, G, B, D, F sharp, A, and then it's back to C again. And there's no reason why it shouldn't just go to C sharp, because it's basically C major 7, and then you've begun a D major 7, and you may as well just carry on. So I, I invented this system... Um, called super well it's like it's like super lydian um and they're actually there are there are lots of different degrees of this so the more notes you add and if you're in c if you do c sharp that's super lydian then g sharp is super ultra lydian ah. and and there's well, it goes to super ultra hyper mega meta lydian there are five basically five notes missing from from you know they're like essentially there are there are five and so you can just extend there's no reason why you should contain harmony in 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 scales, for example, or modes or systems of, of, you know, like learning regimented cadences. That's cool. You know, there, there are ways to open out harmony and be expressive with harmony that don't come from that thing. And it, it just comes from listening, just as Michael was saying, listen to your own ear yeah. and learning to just accept it and not judge it immediately and just kind of think, no, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm right. <laughs> sure. Even, even before I, I thought about it, you know, I was right. You know. Jacob Collier, man, thank you so much for sharing this uh, this time with me. It's such a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for for coming around. Mm -hmm.